Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday the 14th of April and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team this week comprises Phil Lee, Jane Fairs and John Plush as our recording engineer. Carol Hartle, as ever, is on copying and admin. I would like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's start this week, as we always do, with the telephone numbers, which Jane's going to read to you. Wilds Lane <laughs> is 01905 767 Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily, and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police, non-emergency, 101. NHS Direct, 111. Out of hours, medical assistance, 0300 12 between 6 and 8pm. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 Worcester Hub, 01905-765-765. Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905-768053, option 3. Community Risk Team Fire Safety. 0800-032-1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline. 0800 980-3331 Sense Adventures Walking for Visually Impaired D. Jones 01684-891-297 or 07920-144-614 www.senseadventures.co Dot UK, all small. Samaritans, one one six one two three. Worcester Live, o one nine o five six one one four two seven. Morven Theatres, o one six eight four eight nine two two seven seven. Thank you, Jane. And uh, I now have a brief summary of one or two things that are coming up that might interest our listeners. 
starting off with. If you're a Bob Dylan fan, you certainly won't want to miss Bob and the Band. One of the best tribute shows on the circuit, apparently, and coming to Worcester's Huntington Hall on Saturday, 23rd of April, 7.30pm. Described by audiences as inspiring, moving and heartbreakingly fabulous, you'll hear all the old Dylan favourites, including Blowing in the Wind, Mr Tambourine Man, Knocking on Heaven's Door and many more. Tickets are priced at £21 and for further info, call the box office 611427. For those wanting further entertainment during the Easter holidays, then why not head off to the National Trust's Croom Park? Their family-friendly Easter Adventures in Nature programme continues right through till Sunday the 24th of April. That's stocks of eggs permitting, I will add. Opening hours are 10 till 5. For more details, go on the National Trust website, which is all lowercase nationaltrust.org.uk. Drama next. The Malvern Festival Theatre is showing a production of Harold Pinter's play The Homecoming, starring Matthew Horne, Keith Allen and Ian Bartholomew. Widely regarded as his finest play, apparently, this bleakly funny exploration of family and relationships has become a modern classic. Evening performances start at 7.30pm and matinees on Wednesday and Saturday at 2.30pm. For ticket prices, contact the box office on 01684 892 277. And finally, KIPS, or otherwise known as, I can't remember what its other title was, uh, so it's, uh, half sixpence, that was it, yes. Yep, that's it. That's going to be performed by WADS, the amateur dramatics group in Worcester. And that's from the 26th of April to the 30th of April. 7.30pm, £16.50 the tickets, and it says here it will be their first production since the pandemic lockdown. The new set and colourful costumes will complement the great performances by the cast. And that's at the Swan Theatre, Worcester. And if you need any more details, it's 01905 611427. So that's what's on. And we'll move on to the main headlines and Phil will read the headlines themselves and then move on to the first story of the group of them. Right. Friday, April the 8th is where we start and the headline for that day is Missing the Bus on Cash. Council's £84 million bid for transport pot refused. Saturday, they gave my son such care. Dad speaks and friends prepare for transatlantic rowing challenge for acorns. Monday, gone for good. 130 years of co-op trade in St John's ends. Tuesday, I want to go home to Ukraine. Mother and daughter take refuge in the city, but thoughts are elsewhere. Wednesday, blaze fought all night, thick smoke over village. And today, boxer dies after charity bout. So that takes us to the first of those stories about the bid... Brakes are put on £84 million funding bid. A huge council bid to transform bus services in Worcestershire has been rejected by the government. Ministers have rejected the entirety of Worcestershire County Council's £84 million bid, leaving a planned overhaul of the bus network in ruins. The failed bid promised several improvements to bus services, though more frequent pickups 
extra on-demand buses, a new smart ticketing system, and eco-friendly buses, as well as cheaper and simpler fares. The Department for Transport had warned that bids, quote, lacking ambition, would be rejected. When revealing the council's bid last year, Councillor Alan Amos, cabinet member for highways, said the proposal was, quote, hugely ambitious and would completely transform and expand the bus network across the whole county once and for all, and not just tinker at the edges. Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents the city's Rainbow Hill division on the county council for Labour, said the failed bid felt like all hope had gone when it came to improving Worcestershire's broken bus service. Investing in better bus stations and better information doesn't actually get you more buses, and what we desperately need in Worcestershire is more buses, she said. It is absolutely desperate news that there will be no money coming from the government to make Worcestershire bus services better. The message seems to be that if you don't own a car or drive a car, the government and councils are not prepared to invest. They don't seem to care. Councillor Matthew Jenkins, who represents the city's St Stephen Division for the Greens, said the failed bus bid, coupled with the council's lacklustre and much-criticised walking and cycling funding proposals, which meant the county was awarded 784000 out of the £1.3 it bid for, did not bode well. Looking through the bid, it spoke a lot about working in partnerships with other counties and councils, he said. We need much more control over the bus service. Until we as a county have complete control and have our say on new routes, then nothing much is likely to improve. When the funding was announced by the Prime Minister, it was a fund of £3 billion, and now £1.2 billion has been awarded. Maybe if more money was made available, then the less ambitious bids would have been successful. A statement from Worcestershire County Council said our transport highways officers have been liaising with neighbouring local authorities, Leicestershire, Staffordshire, Gloucestershire, Northamptonshire, Herefordshire and Swapshire, who, as well as ourselves, have sadly missed out on the bus service improvement plan funding on this occasion. We are continuing to liaise with neighbouring local authorities regarding how best to take this forward. We will be contacting the Department for Transport for further clarity as to why the county was unsuccessful in its application. The government published its three billion national bus strategy, known as Bus Back Better, in March last year, with the main aim of getting more people travelling on buses. The strategy said the only way to achieve this is to make buses a practical and attractive alternative to the car. Successful bids were chosen because of their ambition to repeat the success achieved in London, which drove up bus usage and made the bus a natural choice for everyone, not just those without cars. And here we have the story for Saturday and Sunday. They gave my son such care. I still see him every day. A father has spoken of his son's final days as two friends prepare to row across the Atlantic in his memory. Dale Dyer's son, Jack, died aged 16 in November 2020, having suffered with cerebral palsy due to issues at birth. Jack required 24-7 care throughout his life and was just 18 months old when doctors told his family he would never walk, talk or lead an independent life. Matt Bladen and George Farmelow, also known as the Worcester Boys, will be taking on the 3,000-mile Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge in December 2023. They are doing so in memory of Jack, 
and hoped to raise £250,000 for Acorn's Children's Hospice. Acorn's made a big difference for Jack during his life, said Mac. They cared for him, gave respite to him and his family, and gave Jack somewhere safe and secure to stay. Jack spent a number of breaks at Acorns during his life and was also able to stay at the hospice with his parents for the last two weeks of his life. For 15 years, for us, it wasn't the end of life care, said Dale from Worcester. We would take Jack to Acorns knowing he'd be happy, safe and having lots of fun. And in November 2020, it did become end of life care. It was almost like he'd got to a point in his life where he was like, I've had enough now. Acorns were fantastic. We didn't have to worry about anything. They fed us and people were able to come along and see him. On Saturday morning, Jack woke up at 6am with a cough, as he often did, took three months, three gulps of air, and he was gone. Had I not been there when he passed away, I think it would have broken me. I still see him every day in my mind's eye. When I sit down, I can feel him because his favourite place was on my lap. I hope that never changes. Matt and George, who met at King's College, Worcester, have moved moved to London but still row regularly and they say their biggest challenge is fundraising. And first up, they need £50,000 to buy a boat, an expense they will eventually recoup and donate to Acorns as they will sell it to someone taking part in a future race as soon as they've completed theirs. To sponsor the boys or donate, head to worcesterboys.com. And the headline for Monday, April the 11th is Gone for Good, 130 Years of Co-op Trade in St John's Ends. Emotional staff said their final goodbyes as a supermarket closed its doors for the last time. Staff gathered outside the co-op in the Bullring as it closed for good on Saturday, April the 9th, after 130 years of trading in St John's. It was the final time the shop would serve its faithful customers and an emotional time for staff, some of whom had worked at the store for over 30 years. Councillor Richard Udall has been vocal in his support to try to save the co-op branch. On the morning of its closure, he said, A sad day for St John's, a tragic day for all who work in the store, a bad day for consumer choice. My personal gratitude, sympathy and good wishes to my cooperative friends who will be working at the store today for the last time. We will miss you. Good luck for the future. The shop was locked up before the 2pm closing time earlier reported, with several would-be customers seen peering through the glass doors before realising that the store had closed and would not be reopening. One would-be shopper said, It's really sad, isn't it? It just had a really lovely atmosphere about it. There's a Sainsbury's over there and an oldie down the road, but it's not quite the same. It's a big part of the high street. I hope whatever comes next will continue to benefit that. Maybe more shops or a restaurant. The closure was first reported in February, with a spokesperson for co-op stating that the decision had not been taken lightly. They added, The closure is in no way a reflection on the commitment and hard work of colleagues. All have been fully supported throughout the process, including filling vacancies and stores around the area. The co-op would like to thank the community for its support of the store over the years. Neighbouring businesses have voiced concerns about the closure of the supermarket. 
Jordan Turner, who works at the St Richard Hospice charity shop across the road, said, I reckon it will shock the older generation when it closes because they're used to shopping in a smaller store. Tracy McCown, receptionist at Beauty by Tabitha, added, It's a big loss for St John's. Clients use the co-op and then come here, so the store is good for business. It has not yet been confirmed what will take the place of the store, but plans for a 60-bed retirement village and care home have been submitted by Addington Retirement Living. And so to Tuesday, I want to go home to Ukraine. Mother and daughter take refuge in city, but thoughts are elsewhere. A mother and daughter who fled Ukraine as refugees have arrived in Worcester. Yulia and Anna Moschina left the besieged city of Dnipro more than a week ago and underwent a difficult and frightening journey to reach a refugee centre before finding a new home in a city resident's spare room. The pair flew into the UK on Friday, having spent a week in a refugee centre in Warsaw. They are now staying in the spare room of a Worcester couple and say they are so thankful for the kindness they have been shown in the city. It was a very difficult decision to leave Dnipro, said Mrs Moschina, but it was becoming very dangerous there. She left Dnipro on a free train for people evacuating the city, taking her 13-year-old daughter Anya with her, but making the heartbreaking decision to leave her husband behind as he helps to build bomb shelters in his parents' hometown. On the train, it was forbidden to use our phones and there were no lights inside, so we went to sleep as soon as it went dark, she said. In some areas where it's dangerous to go, the train didn't have any lights on at all, even at the front. It took 20 hours to get to Lviv, and when we got a bus arranged by volunteers to Warsaw, where we spent a week in a refugee centre. I felt very depressed and cried a lot. It was not very nice. The decision to leave home was very hard. I couldn't believe leaving would be so hard. The war has changed our lives. Mrs Machina describes the last peace day in Ukraine as being an ordinary one in which she went to work and then shopping. I was shocked the next morning when my husband told me that the war had started. Dnipro has been subjected to multiple attacks since then and saw its airport destroyed by Russian missiles at the weekend. Mrs Moschina said she had no intention of leaving Ukraine at first, as she expected the war would end, but eventually accepted an offer of help from a friend, Alex Koval, a Ukrainian who already lives in Worcester. Alex found people for us to stay with, and Janice and Michael are so lovely. They have given us a room, share their meals with us, and spend their free time with us, she said. One of our neighbours, Simon, even bought Anya a tablet so that she could study. But I want to go home, of course. I miss it very much. Blaze fought all night. Firefighters worked through the night to put out a large fire in a Worcestershire village. The fire broke out near the Honey Bee pub in Doverdale near Worcester. The road between Doverdale and Sneeds Green was closed Monday afternoon and several Hereford and Worcester fire and rescue service appliances could be seen in the area. A spokesperson confirmed that the crews were called at 3.15pm to reports of smoke near Doverdale. They said eight appliances and two water carriers had attended and that firefighters had kept watch throughout the night to ensure the fire did not reignite, finally leaving the scene at 7.20am. They said the fire involved a range of mixed-use commercial buildings, adding the fire sped rapidly due to the wind. 
The spokesperson also said there had been no reports of any injuries. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service was called at 3.15pm on April the 11th to a report of smoke issuing at Doverdale. A fire involved a range of commercial buildings and eight fire engines attended, two from Worcester, three from Wire Forest, one from Bromsgrove, one from Redditch and one from Morven, with water carriers from Evesham and Lempster also attending. The incident was sectorised with the fire fought using three main jets, two hose-reel jets and one compressed-air foam system with eight firefighters wearing breathing apparatus. There were no casualties, but police and ambulance also attended. The incident was scaled back with the occasional use of one hose-reel jet and a thermal imaging camera as dampening down took place. Watch commander Simon Jelfs said on Twitter that crews found a rapidly spreading fire and spent all afternoon saving thousands of pounds worth of equipment and buildings. He also posted a video showing attempts to put out the fire and thick plumes of smoke drifting across the area. Group commander Samantha Pink commended firefighters for a safe, speedy and effective attack on the fire. And the headline for Thursday, April the 14th, Boxer Dies After Charity Bout. The brother of a 26-year-old man who died after boxing at an event at a Worcester nightclub has said they are utterly broken at his loss. Dominic Chapman died after fighting in the ultra-white collar boxing event held at Tramp's nightclub on Saturday night. Paramedics battled to save Dominic, who attended Blessed Edward Old Corn Catholic School College, after he suffered serious injuries after collapsing in the ring. He later died in hospital. His brother Joseph shared an emotional tribute on his Facebook page, which said, We are utterly broken to have lost Domo. He was the kindest, friendliest and most decent human being I knew. He lit up the lives of all who were fortunate enough to have met him. Domo has already changed three lives through organ donation, even since leaving us. I couldn't be prouder of him. It was my privilege to be able to call him my little brother and my best mate. Rest easy, lad. Joseph, 29, also shared a picture of himself and Dominic, who also attended Worcester Sixth Form College and the University of Worcester with with sister Neve, 22. Police have said they're not investigating the death at the Angel Place nightclub, but Worcester City Council has confirmed Worcestershire Regulatory Services, WRS, will be holding an investigation. A spokesperson from the authority said, This tragic incident has been reported to WRS and an investigation will be carried out. We can confirm that the charity boxing event was conducted in line with the venue's licence. Organisers Ultra White Collar Boxing and Charity Cancer Research UK, which benefited from the boxers' fundraising, have both offered their condolences to Dominic. A spokesperson for Ultra White Collar Boxing said, Everyone at Ultra White Collar Boxing was devastated to hear of the tragic death of this young man. Our deepest sympathies go to his family and friends at this very sad time. We will, of course, offer them all the support we can. With investigations now underway into the cause of his death, it would be inappropriate to comment further at this stage. Simon Ledsham, fundraising director at Cancer Research UK, said... We send our sincerest condolences to the family of the man who tragically died in hospital after taking part in an ultra-white collar boxing event where participants fundraised for Cancer Research UK. 
our thoughts are with the man's loved ones and friends at this time. Dean Hill, director of Tramps Nightclub, said, On behalf of us all at Tramps, our deepest condolences go to his parents, family and friends at this very sad time. Our thoughts are with his family. Among the tributes left on the Worcester News Facebook site, Emily Davis wrote, The most lovely, kind-hearted man you could ever dream to meet, loved dearly by all who knew him. May he rest in peace. Sinead O'Neill said, He was such a lovely guy. I'll always remember him for his politeness and kindness. He will be remembered by all that had the pleasure to meet him. A West Mercia police spokesman said, at around 7.50pm, officers received a report concerned for the welfare of a man. Officers and West Midlands ambulance staff attended. A man in his 20s was taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, in a serious condition. A West, ambulance, West Midlands ambulance service spokesman said, We were called at 7.46pm. Two ambulances, a paramedic officer, a critical care car from the air ambulance service and a merit trauma doctor and critical care paramedic attended the scene. Upon arrival, we found a man who had sustained serious injuries. He received treatment from ambulance staff at the scene. He was conveyed to Queen Elizabeth Hospital for further assessment. Tributes were also left on a Just Giving fundraising page Mr Chapman had shared before the event, which showed he had raised £677 of a £400 target. So that concludes the headline news for the week and we'll move on to some general news stories would you start phil i will indeed yes going to start with a story that uh, concerns something that's taking place tomorrow passion delaying traffic a traditional easter event will affect bus travel in worcestershire city center today that's today thursday and tomorrow as you'll find out the worcester passion play a dramatic performance of the passion of jesus christ will be taking place in cathedral square on friday april 15th the theatrical event will take place between 10.30am and 12pm with a half-hour behind-the-scenes video being shown in the square at 9.45am. With the Passion Play expected to draw a large crowd, Worcestershire Highways has warned that buses will not be stopping at the Cathedral Square bus stop between 6am and 1pm on Good Friday. The open-air performance, which is being put on by the Worcester Passion Play Limited and Christian theatre group Winters Hall, is one of ten being put on across the UK. It's free to anyone who wants to come along and will feature the Bishop of Worcester, John Inge, as one of the thieves crucified alongside Jesus. It is really exciting, said the Bishop. Worcester has not seen anything like it before. Quite often we tend to celebrate within our churches, he went on, but this production will be taken out to the heart of the city and we expect lots of people to be involved. It will be a spectacle with real meaning and hope. Come and enjoy it and find something really precious as you do. On Monday, April the 11th, a 52-home village plan. Plans which could see 52 new homes built in a Worcestershire village are being discussed. Residents are being asked to have their say on the Lye and Bransford neighbourhood plan, which includes the major new plans to develop the village. The draft plan proposes a site allocation for about 52 new dwellings and sports use on land off the A4103 in Lysinton and includes policies to ensure that any new residential development would be appropriately designed. 
When the plans emerged last month, they were welcomed by the local football team, Lyon and Bransford Badgers. This is because the sporting place included in the plans would finally give the club a permanent home ground. Lyon Bransford Parish Council has produced the document after working with the community and has now submitted it to the Morven Hills District Council for final public consultation. This started on Friday, April the 8th, and runs to 5pm on May the 20th. The draft Lye and Bransford neighbourhood plan covers the period between 2022 and 2041 and sets out a vision and policies to guide development in the parishes. Once the consultation is completed, the document will be subject to an independent examination and, if approved, a referendum will be held. If more than 50% of voters in the parish vote in favour of the plan, it will become part of the statutory development plan for Malvern Hills District, sitting alongside the South Worcestershire development plan. Councillor David Harrison, portfolio holder for planning at Malvern District Council, said it's an important document which will guide the way the parishes grow and develop in the future, so it's really important that the people of Lyon Bransford let us have their views on the plan and its proposals. John Sharp, chair of Lyon Bransford Parish Council, said the neighbourhood plan sets out the community's vision for Lyon Bransford to be a rewarding place to live and work. It aims for a positive feeling of local identity in the dispersed communities of the parish where heritage, landscape and biodiversity can thrive in a protected, enhanced, sustainable and resilient environment. The plan is now available to view online at www.morvanhills.gov.uk neighbourhood planning where people can also take part in the consultation by downloading and filling in the response form. Major changes have been made to a bus service between Worcester and Birmingham. First, Worcester has confirmed its 144 service, which runs from Worcester, Droitwich, Bromsgrove, Cats Hill, Birmingham, will terminate at Cats Hill from Sunday, May the 1st. This means the service will not run between Cats Hill and Birmingham. Nigel Eggleton, Managing Director at First Worcester, said the service has carried few passengers between Cats Hill and Birmingham in the last 12 months, which has led the company to remove the link to Birmingham. He said, the upcoming service changes we have planned for 1st of May are to realign our bus network in accordance with how and when people are travelling across the working week and at weekends. As everyone will be aware, the COVID pandemic has changed many things, including people working from home, flexible working patterns, confidence in being around public places and the use of other modes of travel to get around, avoiding congested places. These have all had an impact on bus services in Worcester and throughout the country. Our 144 service has been established for many years and has served people very well, linking Worcester with Droitwich, Bromsgrove, Cats Hill and Birmingham. However, for over 12 months now, we have carried very few people between Cats Hill and Birmingham, resulting in us having to make this difficult decision to remove the link to Birmingham. Mr Eggleton said the changes are to help improve reliability between locations along the route between Worcester and Bromsgrove and facilitate provision where there is consistent demand and use by customers. 
He added, We are working closely with Worcestershire County Council and Transport for West Midlands to determine if there is any funding available to support the planned withdrawal of service between Catsill and Birmingham, and we will update everyone with progress on these conversations. 6,000 school places spare. There are more than 6,000 secondary school places in Worcestershire schools unfilled by pupils, according to new data. Despite the unfilled places, some schools in the county were overcrowded during the academic year. The new figures have been released by the Department of Education and it is the first data of its kind to be published since the pandemic. It shows that 37,050 pupils filled 43,000 places, meaning overall there were more than 6,000 unfilled places at Worcestershire schools. Secondary schools also include the county's middle schools, where there's a three-tier system. A school is under capacity when the number of potential places at a school is greater than the number of pupils enrolled. The Chase School in Malvern was one of the highest undersubscribed schools in Worcestershire because it had 1289 pupils to fill 1679 places. Christopher Whitehead Language College was the highest Worcester school on the list. It had 1428 pupils and 1640 places. The highest undersubscribed Evesham School was Blackminster Middle. Meanwhile, the data also reveals that Hanley Castle High School was one of the most overcrowded schools in Worcestershire, with 1,067 pupils, but 1,023 official places. Prince Henry's High School was the highest Evesham oversubscribed school on the list, and no Malvern school made the list for being overcrowded. Worcestershire County Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member for Education, said there are a number of factors behind the increase in school numbers across the county. Growth of pupil numbers has been felt across some urban areas of Worcestershire. The county is seeing a significant level of new housing, either being built or planned, as the popularity of the county grows. We support, where possible, parental preference for choice of school, and we work closely with primary, first, middle and secondary schools in Worcestershire, to ensure that they are able to sufficiently support higher numbers of pupils where needed. Higher primary pupil numbers from previous years have now begun to reach secondary transfer age, and those schools in three-tier systems are already experiencing higher numbers transferring through to middle schools. The last two years saw the effects of lower birth rates on primary and first schools, which is expected to continue over the next few years. This is a story from Monday, April the 11th, a drop in hospital staff satisfaction. Over a third of hospital staff in Worcestershire would not be happy if friends or relatives needed to be treated by the local trust. The annual poll of NHS staff across England revealed a drop in satisfaction with care standards, while concerns over workforce numbers discontent with pay and work-related stress were also highlighted. At Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, 61% of the 2,883 staff who responded to the 2021 survey said that if a friend or relative needed treatment, they would be happy with the standard of care provided by their organisation. The figure is down from 2020 and below the national average. 
Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said we were pleased to see that our efforts to support the hard-working teams across our trust have seen us improve our scores in the trust of morale for staff and staff health and well-being categories of the most recent NHS staff survey. This is despite the fact that we're now in the third year of dealing with the COVID pandemic while also facing unprecedented pressures on our urgent and emergency care services and a significant increase in the number of patients waiting for planned care. We would like to thank all our staff for their continuing hard work and dedication to patient care in the face of so many challenges. The impact of these challenges is reflected in our overall 2021 survey results, as it is for most every other NHS Trust in the country. We will continue to listen carefully to what our staff tell us and do everything we can to make sure they feel supported, valued and protected so that they can continue to provide the highest quality, most compassionate care possible for our patients. The survey also showed that just 27% of staff at the Trust believe that there is enough staff at their organisation for them to do their job properly. 49% had felt unwell due to work-related stress in the previous 12 months and 68% feel enthusiastic about their job, compared to three quarters a year earlier. Matthew Taylor, Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation, which represents trusts, said it is unsurprising due to unprecedented pressure placed on NHS staff throughout the pandemic. The fall in staff morale is a real cause for concern, he said. A short article, this, but important, I think, uh, to bring to people's attention. Fake police scam calls. People in Worcestershire are being warned about a scam in which handling money to fake police officers. West Mercia Police have said there have been three reports to them about the scam across the region, including in Worcestershire, over the last two days. As part of the scam, offenders claiming to be police extort money by asking for bank transfer with the victim withdrawing cash for collection by the scammers. Police said, please check that your family and friends are aware. Right, and another police story, just to prove that we don't just throw these things together. (laughs) Police must improve. Understaffing and not sufficiently effective investigations have led to West Mercia Police requiring improvement, according to a police watchdog. A report released by Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary and Fire and Rescue Service found the force requires improvement in three of the eight areas assessed. Chief Constable Pippa Mills says that steps towards improving these are already well underway. Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, Wendy Williams, believes too many of West Mercia's serious investigations are not sufficiently effective, quote, with understaffing an issue in many departments. She said, I am satisfied with some aspects of the performance of West Mercia Police, but there are areas where they need to improve. Despite their efforts to improve, too many of its serious investigations are inadequately supervised and this is resulting in a poor service to some victims of crime. Several departments reported understaffing, which can affect workplace well-being. 
The force's information technology systems are unreliable, leading to poor service and inefficient practice. The Police Effectiveness, Efficiency and Legitimacy report states that the three areas requiring improvement are how the force responds to the public, how it supervises and investigates crime, and the effectiveness of force IT and the accuracy of its data. Four other areas were deemed adequate, with just one graded good, and that is preventing crime and antisocial behaviour. Chief Constable Pippa Mills agreed that more could be done. She said, We agree with the assessment that we still need to do more to improve supervision of investigations. Improvement work has already begun and is progressing at pace. This includes a focus on the standard of investigations and providing a better service to victims through improved and meaningful contact. It was recognised in the report that we answer our emergency calls promptly, but more can be done to ensure that each victim is provided with appropriate advice. And this is about someone who just said, just send me to prison. A crying woman who stabbed her ex and left him for dead wishes magistrates would send her to jail after her latest drunken behaviour landed her back in court. Chloe Kendrick of Meadow Sweet Court, Malvern, was back before a court for being drunk and disorderly after she was kicked out of a town pub and started throwing stones at cars. But the 29-year-old, who appeared before magistrates in Worcester, is at risk of going to jail because she is in breach of a suspended sentence, 20 months suspended for two years, for grievous bodily harm. After being handed a tissue, the tearful defendant said, I wish you could just send me to prison today. Magistrates told her they will have to alert the Crown Court of the breach of the sentence, imposed last July, and it will be for the judge to decide what will happen to her. She stabbed a former partner through the abdomen and told him, Now you know how I feel. The victim, Daniel Wint, lost four and a half litres of blood and had to be rushed by ambulance to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham on Friday, November the 8th. 2019. Both parties had been drinking before the attack and consumed significant amounts of alcohol, the court heard. Michael Hall, prosecuting, said at the GPH hearing last year, police attended the home address of Miss Kendrick and found the victim lying on the bed clutching a blood-stained rag. He was holding it to his lower abdomen and was in clear pain and distress. Police identified what was estimated to be a 10 to 15 millimetre laceration below his belly button on the right-hand side. Mr Wint required surgery because of damage to his lower bowel. He had lost around half a litre of blood at the scene itself, but in hospital it was investigations by medics that proved that he had lost a further four litres of blood in his abdominal cavity, which had to be drained. Kendrick was arrested at the home of a former partner, initially on suspicion of attempted murder. A. Hussein, who prosecuted the drunk and disorderly case at the magistrate's court, said police were called to the three horse shows in Morven shortly before midnight on December the 5th last year to reports of a female who had been ejected and was reportedly throwing stones at cars. She was surrounded by staff from the pub who called police and an ambulance for her, said Miss Hussain. She also raised her voice and swore at officers. Miss Hussain said she started to cry and was arrested.
Kendrick, who was represented herself, would not provide mitigation or speak in her own defence because there's a journalist behind me. He agreed to leave court so she could give her mitigation privately, despite an acknowledgement from the Crown that it was a public court. When the journalist returned to court, Kendrick told the magistrates, I'm really struggling. I've got no electric, which I'm trying to sort out, and I have zero money. Magistrates fined her £40 and ordered her to pay a victim surcharge of £34. They waived costs. Deductions will be made from her benefits. And another story here about uh, proposed planning, this time in a village outside Worcester. At least 100 homes could be built in a village on the edge of Worcester, a new plan has revealed. Early proposals to build a huge development on fields in Tiberton near Worcester have been put forward by luxury housing developer McTaggart and Mickle. The homes would be built on land next to the village's Plough Road and north of Eve Lynch Lane, near to the Speed the Plough pub. The plan also includes a new car park for the pub and will create on-site open space and recreation, including sports provision, children's play spaces, walking and cycling routes and green infrastructure. Part of the land has been earmarked in the much-delayed review of the South Worcestershire Development Plan as a site for up to 26 new homes, but the key county planning blueprint is years away from being approved. The applicant, McTaggart and Mickle, has requested a screening screening opinion from Witchhaven District Council, which means a brief plan will be assessed to determine whether it will need an environmental impact assessment ahead of a full planning application being submitted in the future. A number of objections have been raised by villagers in Tibetan already, who say the development is far too big. One objector, Trevor, Trevor Knight of Plough Road, said... This is not the first time such a proposal has been submitted and it has always been met with widespread condemnation from the entire village as it is clear that such a massive development and consequent huge increase in population and traffic would in effect destroy Tibetan's village identity as well as having a devastating negative impact on biodiversity, environment and local habitat. Bluntly, it is entirely the wrong place for housing development. Another objector, Laurie McComb of Plough Road, said, Completely unsuitable location for such a huge estate. The village does not have any amenities, no shop, no post office, no doctor's surgery. The bus service is practically non-existent. Traffic is already at an all-time high, adding 200-plus cars that undoubtedly will need to get in or out of the village, as there's nothing here will be such a fiasco. A story from Friday, fuel shortages hit at the pumps. Fuel shortages in the city stretched into a third day last week as drivers found pumps empty across the city. Queues were forming again at petrol stations as protests at oil depots across the country caused the shortage. Lisa Stevenson, owner of the Tolodine Road service station, said the situation had been ridiculous as she called for something to be done. Climate change campaigners staged a protest at an oil facility near Heathrow Airport earlier last week. A weekend protest by Just Stop Oil also blocked oil depots in Greys, Purfleet, Bunsfield, Tamworth and Central Birmingham. The knock-on effect has led to issues at some city petrol stations throughout the week, mainly affecting diesel. The BB garage in Whittingdon Road had no fuel at all on Thursday morning, with the pumps coned off and drivers, not realising, driving through the garage. 
Staff at the garage told us they did not know when the next delivery would be. The Tolodyne service station had both petrol and diesel, but some pumps were out. The owner said, We had to put the bollards out again last night. It is ridiculous. Something needs to be done. It's been as bad as last year. We have had to ration. People are greedy and are stocking up. We had people coming in with cans yesterday, so we told them no cans. Other petrol stations had also experienced issues. Texaco on Tolodyne Road had a number of pumps out, but still had some fuel. Texaco Castle Street had no diesel at all. A staff member there told us they have some petrol left, but they were concerned that it would run out. A delivery was expected the following day. One customer filling up there said, It has been a nightmare. After he previously tried Malvern Morrison's, which had none, Esso Garage in London Road had queues to get in. Petrol and diesel are still in supply at places, though some pumps are currently out of order. We also found that the Texaco Garage in Ombersley Road and SR... Henwick Road had fuel, both petrol and diesel. A staff member told us, We have two pumps out, but that's not due to shortage. They just aren't working at the moment. There are no shortages here for us. And these are two um, two stories. One, a very short one, which is this, that a third of GPs are to quit. Over a third of GPs plan to quit their job in the next five years, new figures show. The latest annual GP work-life survey found a dip in job satisfaction between 2019 and 2021, with just over half, 51%, saying they were satisfied with their job in 2021. GPs highlighted problems with increasing workloads, increased demands from patients and having insufficient time to do the job justice. A Department of Health and Social Care spokesperson said, We are working to support and grow the general practice workforce, address the reasons why doctors leave the profession and encourage them to return to practice. And the other story is about Ukraine. Visas top 80 in the city. Home office figures show 81 visas have been issued to Ukrainian refugees with named sponsors in Worcestershire. The visas have been issued under the Homes for Ukraine sponsorship scheme, which allows Ukrainian nationals and their families to come to the UK if they have a named sponsor willing to provide accommodation for them. Data published by the Home Office and the Department for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities shows 12,500 visas have been issued as part of the scheme. As of April the 5th, there had been 1,200 arrivals of visa holders in the UK under the sponsorship scheme. Visas are issued to local authorities based on the postcode of the sponsor's address or of the accommodation address if the applicant is not staying with the sponsor. The The figures show that of the 81 visas issued to Ukrainian nationals with sponsors in Worcestershire, 21 are in Worcester, 21 are in Witchhaven and 15 are in Morven Hills. There are 8 in Wire Forest, 6 in Redditch and 10 in Bromsgrove. Worcestershire County Council said last week that nearly 500 Ukrainians would soon enter the county with more than 200 sponsors offering to host individuals and families. 
that criticism has been levelled at the length of time it's taking for visas to be issued, with Shadow Home Secretary Yvette Cooper claiming thousands of people are stuck in limbo and the process of matching refugees to willing sponsors isn't exactly a joined-up one. Julia Mosina, who arrived in Worcester from the besieged Ukrainian city of Dnipro last week, said her, fi- her visa was approved in a few days, but that her 13-year-old daughters took 20 days to come through. Mrs Mosina was introduced to her sponsor by Alex Koval, a Worcester resident and Ukrainian national, who has taken it upon himself to help his fellow Ukrainians to find safe places to stay. The government's Homes for Ukraine website says Ukrainian visa applicants will be matched with people who have registered an interest with the sponsorship scheme, but it also points people in the direction of charities and non-government organisations working to match potential sponsors and Ukrainian households, and does not dissuade people from sponsoring someone they have met on Facebook. One of Worcester's largest employers is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. Worcester Bosch, originally set up in 1962, employs more than 1,800 people and has launched a special campaign to celebrate the milestone. Throughout this year, the More Than 60 campaign seeks to recognise people who have gone the extra mile in the pandemic and reward them for their dedication. The initiative is open to four different audiences. These are installers... Worcester heating system owners, community groups and the company's own employees. Prizes range from new power tools and van wraps to day out experiences and new heating systems. 60 prizes will be given out while the competition is running. Victoria Billings, Director of Marketing at Worcester Bosch, said, We've gone through an incredible journey as a company over the last 60 years and the one thing we have always aimed to do is warm lives. We want to recognise those who also warm lives in any way and who go that extra mile for others. We're looking forward to hearing the inspiring stories of those who are nominated. For customers, Worcester Bosch is looking to reward those who have spread warmth with their actions in helping out during the pandemic. Installers who went above and beyond to help people during the pandemic are also being sought. The company is looking to provide a new heating system to a deserving, underfunded community space somewhere in the UK. It is hoped the new installation will help keep running costs down for the lucky organisation. Finally, the company is on the lookout for Worcester Bosch employees who do their bit to help their colleagues and the public in Worcester and further afield. For more information on the company's 60th birthday celebrations and how to nominate an installer, homeowner or community group for one of the 60 rewards, please visit worcester-bosch.co.uk slash 60-years. Worcester Bosch was set up in the city in 1962 and has grown to one of the country's largest heating system and boiler providers. Its first headquarters was at the Old Vinegar Works in St Martin's Gate, the company then moved to Diglis in 68 and Warnden in the 1990s. Right, a story for Monday. Pub's future is settled at last. New homes will be built on the site of a village restaurant after years-long plans have eventually been backed by councillors. Part of the wagon wheel in Grimley near Worcester will now be demolished to be converted into two homes under the plans. 
Owners, Giuseppe and Julie Grigliano, who have been trying to sell the wagon wheel for a number of years in order to retire, have tried several times to have their housing plans approved, the latest of which proposes building two homes instead of three, but they'd been unsuccessful until this week. The plan has now been backed by Malvern Hills District Council's planning committee, bringing an end to more than three years of discussions and applications. At the meeting in Malvern on Wednesday, Councillor Peter Waitley said it was a very difficult decision, but given the government inspector's ruling and the failure to obtain valued community facility status for the building, he would support the housing plan. Councillor Pam Cumming said the grounds for keeping it open were tenuous. Councillor Paul Cumming said he applauded the effort to keep the pub open, but the reasons put forward to reject the plan had already been covered and dismissed by the planning inspector, and he would be voting in favour of the plan. The Friends of the Wagon Wheel Group had been attempting to get the building registered as an asset of community value in an attempt to save the pub and restaurant from turning into housing. Planners at Malvern Hills District Council rejected an application in July 2019 to convert the restaurant and pub into homes as it was a valued community facility, which would not be replaced in Grimley if it closed. Mr and Mrs Giuliano had looked to have the decision overturned by the government's planning inspectorate, but despite a hearing ruling that the restaurant was not a community asset, it still threw out the appeal. Government Planning Inspector Gareth Thomas determined the wagon wheel was not a community asset but could not overturn the decision saying that there was a risk of flooding and the homeless would be out of character for the village. And this is about a man who was jailed for an attack on his wife. A convicted dealer who beat up his wife was the victim of her violence. She threw a bottle of pop at his head which cut his face open and secretly recorded him. A court heard. Lee Groves of Pike Close, Worcester, was jailed for 26 months at Worcester Crown Court for several attacks on his wife, including one which may have resulted in a slipped disc. The 56-year-old, acting as her carer, also strangled her, kicked her, punched her and insulted her about her weight, despite her being vulnerable because of her medical conditions, including sciatica, which meant she spent most of her time in bed. The victim told the police she believed she was going to end up in a box dead at the defendant's hands and that she lived in fear of him, said the prosecutor. Groves admitted grievous bodily harm with intent on October the 21st last year. Two counts of assault occasioning actual bodily harm in July last year and November the 23rd last year and a further account of controlling and coercive behaviour throughout last year. However, his solicitor, Sam Lambsdale, disputed the prosecution account that his wife was bedbound and described the relationship as both volatile and unhealthy. She has said in her statement herself on one occasion she threw a bottle of pop at Lee Groves which split his eye, said Mrs Lambsdale. She added there were occasions when he himself was the victim of domestic abuse. Mrs Lambsdale said Groves had told her that if Mrs Groves did not get her own way straight away, she would order him to leave the house and that she would phone the police regularly if she couldn't get her own way. She argued that the assault involving GBH was not necessarily a prolonged assault. He grabbed her by the lapels of her dressing gown and threw her out of the front door. That was perhaps born out of frustration and anger, 
that they were consistently arguing about money, about food, about him taking things up to her, drink and cigarettes. Mrs Lambsdale also said Mrs Groves had put a tracker on her husband's phone. She constantly accused him of being unfaithful and having affairs with his neighbour, she said. The solicitor also said Mrs Groves set her phone to record and left it in the living room. He did acknowledge there was a pattern of destructive behaviour but struggles himself without any support to identify ways to change that, she said. Mrs Groves also wants to be reconciled with her partner when he gets out of prison. He never had any intention to cause her a serious injury, said Mrs Lambsdale. A special ball arranged by a woman who lost two of her best friends to cancer in their 20s has raised thousands of pounds for charity. The Elba Ball, organised by Millie Barnes, raised over £5,000 for St Richard's Hospice in memory of Emily Lewis and Becky Amos. Millie said Emily and Becky both tragically lost their battles with cancer just two years apart, aged only 24 and 26 years old. Emily and Becky were two of my very best friends, having grown up together. I wanted to do something in their memory and give back to St Richard's, who cared for both girls. I organised the Elba Ball, which took place at the Hilton Hall Hotel Puckrup on Saturday, April 2nd, and more than 170 people were in attendance. The event was a huge success, and I'm still beaming with pride, amongst other emotions, as Emily and Becky are missed dearly. I'm incredibly grateful for all those who donated raffle prizes, bought raffle tickets, and who attended the ball. Story from Tuesday. Topless knife man given 99-week ban. A 37-year-old attacker who wielded a knife and metal bar in Worcester has been jailed for driving while disqualified and banned for 99 weeks. Alexandru Topoliano of the Bullring St John's Worcester was subject to a suspended sentence order for four offences, including wielding a knife while topless and striking a man with an iron bar. Part of that suspended sentence was activated when he was jailed for a total of 50 weeks at Hereford Crown Court. He was back in court for driving while disqualified and driving without insurance. A probation warrant was also executed after the defendant failed to comply. In total, 50 weeks of the suspended sentence was activated. A four-week concurrent sentence was imposed for driving while disqualified and no separate penalty for driving without insurance. The sentence had to be adjourned on a previous occasion so Topoliano could get legal representation. We previously reported how he admitted using threatening or abusive or insulting words or behaviour with intent to cause Stefan Alex harassment, alarm or distress, a Section 4 public order offence, and criminal damage to a Mercedes Vito van belonging to Dominic Vicol during an incident in the city's Upper Tithing on April 23, 2020. Topoliano wielded a knife in the upper tithing in Worcester and used the blade to cause damage to a van after he argued with a woman in the street. On May 18, 2020, he attacked a man with a three-foot-long iron bar outside Tesco Express in Fourgate Street, Worcester, slamming the bar into the man's ribcage. The defendant admitted criminal damage and possession of a bladed article on April 23rd and assault occasioning actual bodily harm against Lucien Beldianu and possession of an offensive weapon, 
that is the Iron Bar, on May the 18th, 2020. Speaking at the original sentence hearing, Philip Beardwell, prosecuting, said the defendant was seen, quote, topless, wielding a kitchen knife in the upper tiding, using it to cause £350 worth of damage to the van. In October 2020, Toplianu was sentenced to 12 months in prison, suspended for two years, ordered to pay compensation of £350 to Mr Vicol for the criminal damage to the van, and £200 to the victim of the ABH. He was asked to complete 200 hours of unpaid work and was made subject to a restraining order for five years in relation to Mr Beldianu. And this is because the COVID, COVID testing site in Worcester's County Hall has closed after two years. The site, which has looked quiet for weeks, was shut down on Thursday, March the 31st, along with testing centres across England. Few members of staff could be seen at the site, but a number of mobile testing units, vans were parked up. A spokesperson from the UK Health Security Agency, which had taken over the running of testing sites from local authorities, confirmed the closure. As per the government's Living with Covid plan, and in line with the end of free testing for the general public, all public testing sites in England had ceased operation by the close of Thursday, March the 31st, 2022. The shuttering of test sites and the end of free universal COVID tests comes as COVID cases rise in Worcestershire and around the UK. But the government says that although both infections and hospitalisations have risen in recent weeks, more than 55% of those in hospital that have tested positive are not there with COVID as their primary diagnosis. Health Secretary and Bromsgrove MP Sajid David said, Thanks to our plan to tackle COVID, we are leading the way in learning to live with the virus. We have made enormous progress, but will keep the ability to, to respond to future threats, including potential variants. Lateral flow tests, vaccines remain our best defence and we're now offering spring boosters to the elderly, care home residents and the most vulnerable. Please come along and protect yourself, your family and your community. P free PCR testing for those with COVID symptoms will continue for hospital patients, those at high risk of becoming seriously ill from COVID and people working or living in certain high-risk settings such as care homes, hospices and prisons. Lateral flow tests will still be made available to patient-facing NHS staff and some care workers and staff in a number of prisons. For everyone else, lateral flow tests are available to buy from pharmacies usually priced at about £2 per test. The latest guidance suggests that people testing positive should isolate for five days while they are most infectious. Two RGS Worcester pupils took first and second place in the National Fashion Icon competition. The competition was open to 13 to 18-year-olds and challenged pupils to explore the environmental impact of fashion and inspired the design of a new and unique garment to be upcycled from a suit. The ten finalists in the competition were then given just a few weeks to make their vision become a reality and create their garment. The two RGS pupils, Year 9 pupil Grace and Lower 6th student Emily, both reached the final 
with a further RGS Lower Sixth student Emily also receiving a highly commended award. Finalists Grace and Emily attended the fashion embroidery show at the NEC last month, along with completed garments for final judging, and to see them modelled on the catwalk in front of a live audience. Accompanied by the school's head of textiles, Joe Bishop, both girls presented their finished garments to the judges for inspection before the catwalk event. The final designs were innovative and unique in their approach to upcycling suits into new garments, and all received much appreciative applause from the audience as they made their way down the catwalk. Grace chose to wear her creation on the catwalk herself, and the girls were also interviewed, explaining the inspiration and process behind their designs. After a nail-biting wait and much deliberation by the three industry expert judges, the final results were announced, with Grace taking first place and Emily awarded second. Head of Textiles at RGS, Joe Bishop, said, I am delighted for both of the girls. Finishing first and second is amazing and very well deserved. Both the designs were very well thought out and their execution making the garments, especially in such a short time frame, was exceptional. Very well done to Emily and Grace on such remarkable work. Grace said, I'm so pleased to have won and see all my hard work pay off. I really enjoyed making my garment. It has been challenging, but it's also been a great opportunity to to learn lots of new designs and textile skills. Emily said, I really enjoyed upcycling the men's shirt and suit to create a sophisticated dress design. It was a challenge to make the piece within three weeks, although so exciting to see my design modelled on the catwalk at the NEC. I'm really proud of what I have achieved. The students' efforts won a new sewing machine for the new school, sorry, for the school, and both Grace and Emily received a prize and certificate of achievement. Both winning garments will be proudly on display in the school's textiles department. And there's a picture of one of the garments, and I have to say it is extraordinary. It's a three-piece um, woolen suit turned into something out of Star Trek, isn't it? It's, yes, it's, with great big lapels yes. pointing up to the sky. Yes, it's remarkable. So congratulations to them. Indeed. Hot news from today's newspaper. Star DJ Moyles to play in City Event. One of the country's most famous radio DJs is coming to Worcester this summer. Chris Moyles, famous for 15 years working on BBC Radio 1, is bringing the 90s hangover event to Worcestershire County Cricket Club. The concert on Friday, August 5th, features the best music from the 90s as well as food and drink throughout. A cricket club spokesman said... Join us this summer for a night of the best 90s music. Arguably one of the most well-known people in British broadcasting, Chris Moyles has had an exciting and varied career and is considered one of the nation's favourite radio DJs. New Road, he said, will turn into the biggest party in Worcester for one night as Chris's 90s hangover brings you all the best tracks from that great decade. And at times controversial broadcaster, Chris Moyles presented the early breakfast show a Saturday morning show and a drive-time show throughout his time at the BBC. He later left to join Capital FM before moving to his current home, presenting for Radio X. Last summer saw Joe Wiley bring a night of 90s anthems to the cricket club, the event having had to be rearranged due to COVID restrictions. The presenter described the night as euphoric, thanking people who attended and enjoyed a night of the best tracks from the decade, including hits from Blur, Oasis, Fatboy Slim, Primal Scream, The Verve, The Chemical Brothers, Faithless, The Prodigy and more. 
Another major act gracing the city this summer is legendary singer Sir Tom Jones. Sir Tom is performing on Pitchcroft on August the 13th, with even more big names from the world of music coming to the county this summer, including Rag and Bone Man, James Bay, Manic Street Preachers and UB40. And this story is about patrols at a beauty spot. Um, patrols have been stepped up at Malvern Beauty Spot, where several people have drowned. Officers of the Malvern, Save, <laughs> the Malvern Safer Neighbourhood team have increased patrols at Gullet Quarry. They also patrolled Castle Morton Common after reports of antisocial behaviour. A tweet from Malvern Police said, With the nicest weather creeping in and the Easter holidays upon us, Malvern officers are paying close attention to the potentially dangerous open water areas around the hills, along with patrols of Castle Morton Common, after an increase in reports of vehicle antisocial behaviour. Gullet Quarry has repeatedly been the scene of police action, with 51 swimmers moved on from the site in the summer of 2020. In July 2013, the notorious beauty spot claimed the lives of Justice Jusanus, 22, of Ross-on-Wye, and Russell O'Neill, aged 17, of Worcester, who both drowned there in July. Shocking photographs released in 2020 showed around 50 people gathered by the side of the water for a barbecue. This is despite signs all over the area warning of the risk of death from drowning falling rocks and submerged objects. In recent years, measures to ban the people from the site and increased patrols have all been tried, with people regularly seen swimming in the quarry during spells of hot weather. Last week, the Malvern SNT confirmed it was also stepping up patrols in the Duke's Meadow playing fields. The fields off Pickersley Road have seen repeated incidents of glass bottles being pushed into the ground. This causes hazard to the footballers playing on the pitch, many of whom are children. Sergeant Geraint Perkins from Malvern SNT said, I'm disappointed by the actions of a few which spoils the area for so many others. We are mindful of the access of the public to this area and the close proximity to the primary school, so we have adjusted our patrol strategy accordingly, and there will be an increase in the number of officers visible on foot patrol in the area. A group of school children and their parents raised an impressive £750 when they held a fundraiser for Ukraine. The children, who all go to Red Hill C of E Primary School, decided to do something after watching news reports about the Russian invasion and plight of the Ukrainian people. With the help of their parents, they organised a tabletop sale at Red Hill Social Club in Foxhall Street off London Road last Saturday. A further £500 was raised by Red Hill Primary, which held a non-uniform day the day before. Both amounts will be donated to the Worcester News hashtag ThereWithUkraine appeal. The tabletop sale included sales of donated clothes, toys, homemade cakes and nearly new uniform sale. Many children wrote letters to Ukrainian children caught up in the conflict. One of the organisers, Catherine Canton, said, The local community really pulled together and although the rising costs of living are a real source of worry for many, people still found it in their hearts to be incredibly generous with their time and donations.
The children in particular were a credit to their school and families, working together and taking responsibility for setting up and managing the various stalls. Spencer Morris, head teacher at Redhill Primary, said the £500 total was the largest amount raised by a non-uniform event. The children looked amazing in their blue and yellow outfits, he said. Great to see our school community live out our Christian values of friendship and compassion. The hashtag there with Ukraine appeal, launched by NewsQuest, publishers of the Worcester News, has so far raised more than £30,000 for the British Red Cross Society DEC Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal. Visit www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash therewithukraine. Great. Commandery at heart of Easter fun. Nice photograph of the commandery above it. Families can enjoy an array of activities throughout the Easter holidays at the Worcester, Worcester Commandery. Helen Manning, events coordinator there, said, We're looking forward to welcoming visitors over the Easter holidays. There'll be plenty for families to explore and lots of things to enjoy together. One of the Easter activities taking place on Saturday, April 9th, all the way through to Sunday, April 24th, is an Easter egg hunt. Another one with a historical twist as families can hunt for eggs hidden around one of Worcester's oldest buildings. A spokesperson from Worcester's commandery added, On Easter Monday, April 18th, there's extra fun when the glorious commandery gardens will be busy with bouncing bunnies. Families can have fun with a farm-themed bouncy castle and slide, along with games including animal skittles, giant jenga and connect four. With plenty of space to run off steam, younger visitors will enjoy the commandery's nature play area. The spring flowers in the historic walled garden are a feast for the eyes, as is the coffee and cake at the canal-side independent commandery coffee. On the early May bank holiday, the commandery will have mini-golf, giving people a chance to enjoy the fresh... I think they've missed a word out here. Let's say it's fresh air and have some competitive family fun. The slots are spaced out throughout the day and takes around 30 to 45 minutes. The commandery in Sidbury is one of the oldest buildings in Worcester, dating back to the medieval area, era when it began life as a monastic hospital. It's most famously known for the role it played in the English Civil War in 1651, where it served as the royalist headquarters during the Battle of Worcester. It's situated on Sidbury, Worcester, right in the heart of the city. Worcester residents can enter Worcester's commandery all year round for £7 or £19 for a whole family. More information can be found on the commandery website. And residents of Vincent Street in Worcester have been without street lighting since January. Councillor Lynn Denham, Worcestershire's County Councillor for Rainbow Hill and Worcestershire Council for the the Cathedral Ward, shared with the Worcester News that residents of Vincent Street have been waiting since the start of the year for a streetlight to be repaired. The councillor shared the images on Facebook, asking how long should it take to fix a streetlight? Councillor Denham said the first streetlight was reported on 7th Street and a resident informed me they had made the county council aware. I was unsure if it fell into the hands of the county council or the Housing Association. So I checked on the County Council map and confirmed that it was under the Council's jurisdiction. 
The other picture was taken on Vincent Road, and several residents reported to me that the county council were informed of the issue as far back as January. I've no idea how long it usually takes for a light bulb to be changed, but it is alarming that some com- communities are going without such a basic thing as street lighting. Residents can report issues with street lighting via the Worcestershire County Council website. A Worcestershire County Council spokesperson said, Our contractor visited the light on Vincent Street on five occasions since December 2021 to repair the light. However, due to parked vehicles, the work has been unable to be completed. The contractor has been instructed to re-attend. The specialist team is required to assess the structural integrity which is currently being arranged, the spokesperson added when talking about 7th Street. The council is running an energy-saving initiative involving the switching off of two out of three streetlights in certain residential areas. Not all streetlights are the responsibility of Worcestershire County Council. Some streetlights are maintained by the Highways Agency, District Council or private landlords. If you cannot find a specific streetlight on our map, then this will mean that the County Council does not maintain that light. Thank you, Jane. Uh, That pretty much concludes the general news stories for this week. So we will move seamlessly on to the sport, of which there is only a little, isn't there? But let's start with you, Phil, if you will. There is, Pippa. It's cricket. Um, And we have a picture of one of Worcestershire's players looking very frustrated on the back page. And the headline is Frustration. Pairs begin 2021-22 campaign with a draw as brilliant Azad saves the Foxes. And the Foxes are Leicestershire. Worcestershire opened their Division 2 championship season with a frustrating draw as Leicestershire opener Hassan Azad ensured the hosts drew their match at the Upton Steel County ground. Josh Baker did damage with the ball on the final day as he took four wickets to record career-best figures, but Azad scored a century to eventually get his side over the line. The pairs took five wickets in the first session to set themselves up for a comfortable afternoon, but six hours at the crease and 280 balls faced saw Leicestershire's opener admirably bat out the final stages before the game was declared a draw. The day had started with Worcestershire declaring overnight on 234 for five after a debut century from Ed Pollock had put the hosts in the driving seat after bowling Leicestershire out for 213 in reply to Worcestershire's first innings score of 348. As the lads pointed out at the change of innings, it was set up for me perfectly and just because I'm playing the red ball game doesn't mean I'm going to change, said Centurion Pollock. If the ball is there to be hit, I'm going to hit it. I reined it in a bit as the three figures came into sight and it helped to back with Jake Libby. He's very level-headed and kept talking to me. The morning saw five wickets taken as Charlie Morris took the first wicket of Sam Evans before Ed Barnard caught George Rhodes off Dylan Pennington in the 12th over. Baker then took two wickets in the 26th over to reduce the hosts to 76 for four. Baker had a third when bowling Harry Swindles for a duck before lunch. Pollock caught Ben Mike for nine at 101 for six in the 40th over as Leicestershire started to wobble. And when Baker got his fourth to see the hosts at 122 for seven, it looked almost certain that the win was in the bag. 
Asad was ticking along and making it hard work for the bowlers, but at the other end, Callum Parkinson fell for 14 as Azar Ali secured his first wicket for his new club. Asad reached his 185th over to push Leicestershire over 200 and then proved too stubborn a man to get past as Worcestershire were forced to settle with a draw. And this is about the champions. From underdogs to champions, Plums upset the odds in a final to beat City from the spot. Pershaw Town created history on Tuesday night as they won the Worcestershire FA Senior Cup for the first time after a dramatic 4-3 to penalty shootout win over Worcester City at the Victoria Ground. Scott Hammond buried the decisive penalty beyond the diving Adam Harrison to spark wild celebrations between players, management and the strong plums travelling support behind the goal. City had taken the lead in the 70th minute when Dimitri Brown lifted the ball over Eddie Cox, but when it looked like their race was run, Sam Clark produced a moment of magic to curl one into the top corner from 25 yards out with eight minutes to play to send the tie to penalties. The first two spot kicks from both sides found the net before Fortune Mafosa sent his over-the-bar to hand Pershaw the advantage. And despite misses from Kurt Lakin and James Baldwin, Hammond made no mistake to seal the win. City were the higher-level side, but given Pershaw's run to the final, it was always going to be tight, and that proved it in the early stages. But Pershaw had the better chances, and Aidan Clark twice went close in giving his side the lead, but as the rain poured down in Bromsgrove, neither side could find the opener. The second half was better from City, and they began to string passes together and looked to create problems for a Pershaw side who were tiring. But then, with 20 minutes to go, the 1-2 with Bailey Fuller saw Dimitri Brown break into the box and he coolly dinked it over the on-rushing Eddie Cox to give them the lead. The plums looked leggy and City looked like they could double their lead, but as so often has been the case, Pershaw had one more surprise up their sleeve as Sam Clark picked the ball up on the edge of the box before curling it into the top corner as Harrison stood and watched. Pershaw then held their nerve, as they have done so many times this season, from the spot to win the cup for the first time ever. And finally, um, not exactly a cricket story, uh, sorry, sports story, but it is related and I think it's quite entertaining. It comes from Dave Bradley, who is the uh, radio radio journalist, I suppose, for cricket matches. And he starts with, My words this week come from the city of Leicester, to be exact, from the Grace Road cricket ground, where it is freezing cold, blowing a gale and has been raining. But apart from that, a great start to the 2022 cricket season. The people who turn up to watch county cricket on days like this are hardy souls. I was talking to one of two who saw the weather forecast, knew it was going to be cold, but still turned up, as it is the first day of the season and tradition has to be upheld. Got to feel especially sorry for Azar Ali, who is Worcestershire's new overseas player. He flew in from Lahore in Pakistan. I think it may have been a bit warmer there. Some of our local clubs are starting this weekend. Best of luck and don't forget the Long Johns. Turned up at the hotel I'm staying in and asked the receptionist if they had a room at the end of the corridor. Always quieter, I find. 
She apologised and said the hotel was full and she couldn't change my designated booking, but on entering my room, found it had two double beds and a lovely outlook over the nearby car park. I'm thinking of maybe subletting the room. We all have hotels to tell, hotel tales to tell, but when covering cricket at Lord's one year, I booked into a nearby hotel, got the key and went into the room. I used the ablutions and decided to hang my clothes up, only to find someone else's clobber in the wardrobe. Rang reception and it turned out they'd booked the room out twice. So, of course, I made a bit of a fuss and ended up in the bridal suite, which was very comfortable. On a cricket tour, a member of our party, no names, found a pair of shoes under the bed in his room. Far too posh for him, so we all noticed. He wore them for the week and put them back under the bed when we left. So that concludes the sport for this week. And we will move on to, I think, the thought for the week, which, if you don't mind, Phil, can you read out for us? Happily. Week ending is Saturday the 16th. And this one comes from John, chapter 19, verses 14 to 18. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Thank you, Phil. I was looking forward to reading out some birthdays, but I've just picked up the birthday list and we don't have any for this week. So if by any chance you have a birthday around about the 14th of April, either side, for a few days, please send it in and then we will have some to read out next year. But if you or if you are having a birthday and we haven't got the details, may I wish you a very happy birthday for your special day. So we've got the sunrise and sunset times to give you. And today the sun rose at 6.15am. That's Thursday the 14th of April. And the sun will set surprisingly at 8.05pm. That really is quite late almost, isn't it? But there you go. Sunset 8.05pm. And I think that that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank today's readers, Phil. Goodbye. And Jane. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, Pippa. And when you hear this, Easter will be over. So I can't say have a good Easter weekend, but I can say I hope you had a good Easter weekend. Bye-bye. So um, the obituaries for week of the 14th of April. Caroline Innes, née Newson, passed away Sunday 3rd of April, age 64, Funeral service to take place at St Mary's Church, Gualford, at 12 noon on Friday 29th of April, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations to Alzheimer's Research UK. William Matthews Bill, formerly of Wards, Archdales and Allengears, passed away on April the 3rd, aged 80. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, Friday, April the 29th at 2pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation may be sent to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR10 1HZ. Jenny Elizabeth Wigley, Ginny, 
sadly passed away on Saturday 26th of February, aged 93. Funeral service to take place on Friday 22nd of April at St George's Roman Catholic Church at 12 noon. Committal at Astwood Cemetery at 1.30pm. All flowers welcome. Inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors, telephone 01905 22892. John Terence Pittman, Flint Jim. John's funeral will take place on the 25th of April at 10am at Worcester Crematorium. At John's request, family flowers only, donations in lieu to Worcester Air Ambulance or the Salvation Army. Please wear bright colours to celebrate John and his love of life. Trevor Arnold passed away on the 27th of March, aged 83. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Thursday the 21st of April at 10am, followed by internment at Astwood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society, and these, these may be left on the collection plate at the Crematorium Chapel or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 to 70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Brian Robinson passed away on April the 1st, aged 87. His funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 22nd of April at 12.15. Family flowers only, please, with donations to Acorns Children's Hospice and St Richard's Hospice. Sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester, WR2 5BT, and the phone number is Worcester 748811. Joan Rousel passed away on April the 5th, aged 89. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Wednesday the 27th of April at 12.15, followed by, by burial in the cemetery. Donations for Many Tears Animal Rescue and Greyhound Protection UK may be sent to E. Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershall, WR10 1HZ, and the phone number is 01386 552141. Peter Shepherd passed away on the 1st of April 2022, aged 80. The funeral service will take place at Hereford Crematorium on Thursday the 28th of April at 1.15. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Parkinson's Society and the British Legion. All inquiries to H.H. Handley Funeral Care, 3 Hereford Street, Bromyard, HR7, 4DE, and the phone number is 01885 482216. Richards Robin Frank sadly passed away on the 20th of March 2022, aged 63 years. Funeral service on Thursday the 21st of April at the Vale Crematorium at 11am. Family flowers only please, with donations for the British Heart Foundation. Hills Margaret Elizabeth passed peacefully at her care home in Cornwall on 31st of January 2022. Memorial service to be held at Clane's Church on Saturday the 7th of May at 11am. Radburn, Paul, Harold, passed away suddenly following a very short illness on 27th of March 2022, aged 66. 
Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday 20th of April at 12.15pm. Donations to the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution may be left at the chapel or sent to James Giles and Sons, Funeral Directors, 24 Starbridge Road, Bromsgrove, B61 OAE. Roberts Neil Allen of Worcester passed away peacefully at home on 28th of March 2022, aged 56 years. Family flowers only, please. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 19th of April at 1pm. Donations, if desired, for the Red Cross may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68 to 70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Simpkins, Betty, sadly passed away on Thursday, 24th of March, 2022, aged 88 years. Funeral service to be held at Worcester for crematorium on Wednesday, the 20th of April, 2022, at 10.45am. Please wear bright colours. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to RNLI. <laughs>